Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to this edition of TZM Global Radio. Uh, today I will be your host, Neil Kiernan, also the host of V Radio. Um, today my guest is Katie Goodman, who's going to be one of the musicians and comedians who will be at the upcoming Zeitgeist Media Festival. So we're definitely proud to have her. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So, Katie, I mean, we talked a little bit off the air, and um, I kind of, even when I'm doing the TZM Global Radio Show, I keep to this tradition of asking new people who've never been exposed to our audience, uh, what's your story? What made you, you know, go basically go from being someone who was just part of the world to someone who wanted to make it better? <laughs> um, I, and when we talked about it, you, you asked me to think about it, and I, nobody's ever asked me that question that way. They always say, how did you get started, you know, and... Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, like what what made you start writing political satire? And that question's easier because I can pinpoint it more, which was when Bush came into office. I just got pissed off enough. But um, <laughs> I I think actually I I grew up in a pretty much of a um, social you know an activist household. My um, mother and my stepfather were both journalists, um, and my father was a surgeon. So there's just a lot of you know. Uh, caring about the world going on in my in my training and upbringing, so I can't really remember a time when I didn't care. Um, my uncle was also my great uncle marched with Martin Luther King, and he created the Massachusetts Anti Defamation League and stuff like that. So there was, you know, that's right from the start too. So kind of, I was, you know, fed that in my formula. Right. Well, that's excellent. Um, you know, I guess and to have that kind of upbringing, you know, I do get that answer actually frequently. And I guess, you know, the when did you get started thing tends to help, I guess, it's just because I have so many diverse guests on, you know, you never know, like, how they might link it together. So it's good to see, you know, you came essentially from activist stock, you know, to have a grandfather march with Martin Luther King. I'd say that's quite an honor. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you said that the, the Bush presidency kind of is what made you uh, – Annoyed enough that you wanted to sing political <laughs> satire. Can you can you yeah. pinpoint what that was like for you? That transformation in your art. <laughs> well, you know, I've been doing drama. I'm an actress by training, really, more than mm-hmm. I am a, a comedian. So the comedy, uh, I, you know, and I don't do stand up. I do like what I call stand up occasionally, which is like I'm at a piano most of the time, and then I get up and I do some raps and right. play guitar and things. But um, so transitioning from theater to comedy has been really recent. But about 12 years ago, I started um, writing sketch. And part of that is just from being, you know, sort of ADD generation where I couldn't really maintain a plot for an entire play. But um, so the sketch format just really was appealing to me because I also just kind of like a lot of punch. And you can do that in a short period of time. Um, as opposed to, you know, drawing something out. So so I was doing drama, and then I just got depressed by it, frankly, and comedy seemed to be like the way that people, I feel like people can really listen, their ears are open when they're listening to comedy, and sometimes, certainly with lectures, but sometimes even with drama, it's just too much to take in. Um, and I think just personally, I was much happier once I switched over to comedy. And I think that um, comedy has kind of a unique ability when it comes to uh, this sort of thing, like as in to try to communicate uh, ideas to people. Satire, for example, you know, there are people, for example, who may not be interested in political commentary or uh, listening to, you know, say, you know, somebody's diatribe about one reason or another about why a politician is bad, even if they agree, even in some way, even if they agree, but when you do it in an entertaining fashion, people are more likely to tune in. You know, they're more likely because they get some other benefit out of it. Um, you know, and I guess, I mean, do you understand what I mean? It's like, you know, political yeah. cartoons have been so powerful, you know, forever. And when it came to trying to make a political point. Yeah, and I think um, you're, <laughs> I just think you stay awake better, too. And, mm-hmm. um, like, I even noticed, um I was listening to a comedian the other day, and there was sort of, you know, at the end of the show, there was kind of a, um, a, a chat with the audience about, like, what we can do to sort of change things. And it would go along, and everybody would be listening, and then you just sort of start to feel the energy kind of drop off, and then there would be a joke, and all the energy would come back into the room. Right. And the joke was not just some random joke. It was obviously poignant to what, you know, this comedian was saying, and... It sort of it just fascinates me how that works. 
Um, and I think um, part of it's like relief, you know, at being able to laugh at these things. And some of it's the familiar, like we recognize in each other this sort of collaborative, this thing that we all see that's going on in the world, and so we feel understood. And the second you feel understood, I think you're just much more alive and awake in general. Sure. I think that's what's going on. I haven't entirely pinpointed how this works, but but it works. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's just it reminds me of little things like, you know, especially like little cartoons or little comic strips, for example. You see them even in the newspapers where they'll have kind of caricatures of politicians or whomever else that they're trying to expose, and people are more inclined to look at that. You know, I guess it kind of disarms them. And um, when it comes to comedians and even to musicians, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, George Carlin, for example, I, I quote a lot of his stuff, and frequently there will be, I mean, what really amounts to political speeches that are kind of crowded in between his really funny stuff, you know, um, and I think that that gets people's attention in a different way, and it, it puts them more in a position to listen to him. I think it's it's almost like breaking the effect of the matrix, so to speak, because you you can get through to them because they're tuned in, because they're they're already conditioned to tune into you know entertainment to basically distract them from their boring you know uh, rat race lives. <laughs> well, also I think there's a visual component. Like I work with um, kids in the summer and uh, in a theater camp that I own. And what I've learned over the years about different learning styles has been really interesting to me because I know that I wasn't sort of a traditional, you know, listen kind of person. I needed to see or I needed to touch and experience something. And I think when the, one of the great things about entertainment is that it's not just auditory or intellectual or reading. It's visual, too. And even, even George Carlin, you know, doing his fart jokes, I mean, it's pretty visual. I mean, obviously it's auditory, but you're also, like, you're getting this silly image with it as well. And I think, like, one of the things that's going to be really interesting to see this year at the Zeitgeist Media Festival is that they're bringing in, the, you guys are bringing in the film component to it. And I think that kind of, you know, obviously pictures worth a thousand words, but it also just sort of stirs the soul in a way that, like, reading the news doesn't. Um, and I think, you know, you can iron, like what you're saying with the political cartoons are all about irony, you know, you're mm -hmm. juxtaposing two things that are sort of incongruous, um, and it jumps out at you in this sort of more clever way. So it, like, it attacks your, um, it sort of catches hold of your curiosity bone <laughs> in a way, and it, it lures you in, whereas being, like, talked at by a lecturer doesn't really work. I mean, that's why everybody always says, show, don't tell, or, you know, you tell us, you know, oh, you open your speech with a story, um, it's got to get your, like, emotions involved also, but also just your sort of visual um, hook. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. Now, I guess to talk a little bit more, you know, about you, uh, I actually personally learned about you about a week ago when I was visiting a friend of mine named Ray. Uh, he was like, I'm in love with this woman. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, <laughs> he gives me this link and I listen to your song. You know, I'm going to warn people ahead of time there will be some profanity on this show. But, uh, you know, I didn't fuck it up. And, you know, I clicked on it immediately and, you know, uh, being a former musician myself, you know, you start it off and it almost sounds like it's going to be like a love ballad or something. <laughs> very quiet and calm and you know you're talking about there hasn't been a time and then you know then all of a sudden it's as fucked up as this you know and it just <laughs> you know spits right out there and then as the song progresses um it, it's pretty clear that the message is that, at least to me that i saw and it was that you know at, you know i didn't fuck it up you didn't fuck it up but they whoever they are <laughs> they fucked it up you know um to make it kind of that point that people don't really take responsibility for activism. They, you know, they don't really uh, take responsibility for their parts, their part in what's wrong. And of course, everybody wants to dodge, you know, so, you know, then, then you take the audience through accusing everyone else there. If, you know, did, did you, fuck it up? <laughs> you look like someone who could have fucked it up, you know, and it, it just, it, it's funny to me because it reminds me of also one of the, the ongoing problems I've had with activists is that, they're constantly fighting each other. You know, um, the, the this group with that group, the Libertarians versus the Greens versus the Socialists versus the, you know, they all seem to have a really strong grasp of why they're all different, whereas, yeah. you know, whereas they, whoever they are who fucked it up, 
you know, all seem to be on the same page. No, you know. it's absolutely in the whole label thing. I mean, it's it's like the old Jewish joke. You're in a small town, and there's two temples. There's the one you go to and the one you wouldn't be caught dead at. And the reason that that's a little bit funny to do is because, like, you're even if you're really believing the same thing, you have to have something that you feel better than or you're fighting against or you're arguing with um, to sort of feel part of a community. And I think... I mean, it's so biologically based. I don't think we're ever going to get past that exactly. And this is one of the things that why I really love what Zeitgeist is doing, but it's also so incredibly difficult because evolutionarily we've been built to to want to have a, a group that we belong to and that there's an other somewhere mm-hmm. else. And so I, I think biologically we're fighting that all the time. And it's a survival thing, so it's really, really ingrained, and it's tough. But um, we're all, god damn it, we're fucking smart enough by now we should be able to, you know, um, see that we're doing that and get past that. Um, it's, it's really, really complicated. Um, I mean, you see that even in the pro-choice and feminist movements and obviously certainly in the Democrats and mm-hmm. you know, who were wanting to vote for and being frustrated with Obama. But you even see it, I mean, you saw it in the civil rights movement with Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King. Like, it's just... You know, I think underneath everything, we all do want the same things. We want, you know, a clean environment. We want to not be killing each other. And uh, But it's just, we're so, you know what it's also like? This is such a weird analogy. When parents are, um, you're a dad, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's like the fervorizing versus, um, uh, what's his name? The other Dr. Sears. So there's like, you let the baby cry it out to sleep or you go and you comfort the baby. Right. And there's these basic two tenets of thought about how to raise children. And it's so intense when you have a little baby because everyone is just adamant that their way is right. And I was like, well, what is this? It took me forever to figure it out. And I realized it's because you put in so much time so far into trying it the one way, that if it turned out it didn't matter, you're going to be pissed right. <laughs> with the amount of energy you put in. So I think that that happens to us politically, too, you know, with, I mean, with Obama, is certainly that's happened to people who both supported him and were just like, okay, well, this is better than the other thing. But, um, you know, I, I, I just think it's that commitment. Once you've invested so much, it's really hard to back down. No, I agree, and it's it's almost even more sad to me that they, they that you find these groups, you know, it, they start out very well intentioned, and then it's almost I call it like the rubber band effect. It's like they've been pulled in one direction for so long that when they finally, you know, let go, then they get they snap into the complete opposite direction. And and the way I mean for that, like you know, you pointed out the feminist movement. I've met feminists who are just as sexist as any male chauvinist. I've met, um, you know, black. Uh, civil rights activists who are just as racist as any Klan member. Uh, you know, um, I mean, it's it's really sad to see. I mean, I remember this conversation I was having once at Occupy Detroit with this friend of mine, and he comes from a group that I guess is kind of descended from the, the Black Panthers. And, you know, I used, to, I used to live in a place called Pontiac, Michigan, and there happens to be a lot of black-on-white racism there. And I, I said, well, what do you think about it when a group of black kids beats up a white kid? And, and he's like, oh, well, that's not racism. I was like, what? You know, and he's like, oh, well, you know, we've been targeted so much. And, and obviously, I, I think all racism is terrible, but it, it's the fact that it didn't even occur to him that if a group of any race gathers together to beat up someone of another race, it's racism. It doesn't matter what color they are, you know. And I see that, you know, I just, it, it basically, it seems to me like you, you run into a situation where people are so angry and they want to vent that anger that they end up kind of becoming that which they hate, you know, in one way or another. And it's, I'm glad to see though. I mean, I think that's what I I like also about your message is that like, especially the, you know, the, I didn't fuck it up song. You could play that at virtually any activist, you know, and (laughs) it's funny you say that Neil, because I've had also some other people come to my website. Um, like there was a pro-life woman and she invited like 50 of her friends and they all, became friends of mine on Facebook in a day. And then like a week later, there were there was like this mass exodus once they kind of realized who I actually was. But it's so, I've had that happen so many times where on YouTube, in fact, you can kind of see it in the comments there, you know, like, she's so right, Obama did fuck it up. 
Right. And I'm like, you didn't quite catch. But, um, <laughs> it, yeah, I, and actually I have, um, there's a really lovely group of men. Um, it's a male group, an incest survivor group. And they, these, this organization goes around the whole world, Netherlands and everything, and they have been playing my song to this group, and it's apparently caused tears and, like, all this, and they're all buying T-shirts. It's really, really lovely, but it's not an issue I know almost anything about. Um, but, it ha- I mean, obviously, this is, like, why this song is so sort of, like, geisty, because there's... Uh, and you know what's funny about it, too? I wrote this song as, like, a little tiny scene changer for my show. I have this, uh, I have a troupe also. I do a solo show, but then I have this troupe called Broad Comedy. And while the girls are, while we're changing into costumes, sometimes if I'm in, not in the next scene, I'll do, like, a little tiny 30-second song to give them a little extra time to change. And I wrote it for that. Mm-hmm. And... It was just like the first verse or whatever, and then they heard it, and they were like, oh, my God, you have to expand this, and then I played it out somewhere, and it, and I got the audience singing, and then we just went home, and my husband and I write together, and we just, like, expanded into an actual song, but it was one of those things that I thought was just sort of like a throwaway. I thought everybody sort of was having that thought. Well, it turns out everybody was having that thought, but it was just hitting them at a much deeper level than I even realized. It was just sort of obvious to me, but... When I got an entire room singing it, it became this like bizarre spiritual experience. Well, right, right, you know, and it does apply to so many different things. And I mean, it's like I could I could play that to the Libertarian Party, I could play it to the Green Party, I could play it (laughs) to the Socialist Party, and they'd all get some meaning. I don't know, mind you, of course, they their version of they, whoever they are, who fucked it up, right, changes different. But, but, you know, we got to get them. You know, I, I think that some of them in that case kind of missed the point of you bringing that up is that, you know, they, whoever they are, everybody's got their own version. Can we, can we get past that and kind of get to fixing the, the problems? You know, we need to get... The one the, thing is the, the uber conservatives don't really ever, they don't, gener- I mean, I don't have, a, obviously they don't find me, but even when they do, they kind of get, because they're... You never have, like, ultra-conservatives walking around talking about the man screwing them because they are the man. Right, right, so, right. That, you know, so that's kind of the one thing. And that's actually, a friend of mine was talking about why there's very little, oh, I know, um, uh, I, he, he was talking about why there's very little, um, like, conservative comedy going right. on out there. And, you know, it was basically because the it's, the jester can make fun of the king, but the king can't really make fun of the jester the way that he Right, was. right. And I thought that was like, I mean, you sort of know that intuitively, but the way he explained it was just really a student helped me kind of well, figure that out. I think that, you know, like you're talking about it being a spiritual experience, like some of my own studies right now, I'm kind of trying to study the different aspects of groupthink and such and the way that they work on, especially on the Internet, but not just on the Internet, that there are little nuances, I kind of call them the the invisible rules that people follow that they may be, well, like they're conscious of it, but they're really trying to pretend that they're not conscious of it. You know, like, yeah. it's 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 not my job to fix it. You know, I, I didn't fuck it up. It must have been they, you know, whoever they are. And, you know, let's get them. But, you know, it's not me. And, you know, it's just people do that about so many things in their life. I mean, it's like you could, it, even just on a small scale, I could apply that song to me and my roommates. You know, it's like, okay, so... Who made them, you know, mess in the, you know, in the refrigerator? You know, it's, it's, it's they, whoever they are. Okay, so then I guess it's just going to sit there, you know, and say you get to the part of the song that's like, hey, let's all unfuck it up, <laughs> you know. And that, I think that's the part of the song that people don't, don't get to because they, they kind of get stuck on they, whoever they are. <laughs> um, you mean like when you extrapolate it into their lives? Yeah. 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 Well, absolutely, and as I think you and I talked a little bit, I also come from um, self-help tradition a little bit in that I started using, uh, I wrote a book called Improvisation to the Spirit, and it uses the tools of improv comedy in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I got kind of, and so I, I teach workshops and I speak around the country using that, but um, so I spent a lot of time kind of in self-help, you know, retreat land with people who are working towards um, personal growth. And and that is that is the thing. Like, how do we get how do we get towards personal responsibility? Mm-hmm. And I think um, it takes some it takes self confidence to get there. Like, you have to be confident enough 
um, in your beliefs, but also just as someone who is, um, feels good about themselves to say, okay, I'm going to try to uh, unfuck up myself first and then and the planet um, at the same time while not, like you said, not blaming, just getting stuck in, in blaming. Right. And that's, yeah, I think that uh, there are a lot of people who do that. And it's, I, you know, a friend of mine named Jack Reed, he, he runs a group called Community Planet. And, you know, and he talks about how, you know, he, he uses the word againstness, which I guess you sometimes hear frequently in self-help programs. And, you know, there are things mm-hmm. like, a, you know, we should, we really want to focus against againstness. It sounds like right. something the... The, the hippie teacher from Beavis and Butthead would have said, you know. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that it's wrong, but it, it's it's that same kind of touchy-feely stuff, you know, but um, is that we do focus a lot on, you know, on the blame and less on, you know, actually getting to fix it. It's like it's so important to us that, you know, that we get vindication, you know, that we will continue having the argument about who, you know, uh, started the fire that is burning the house down and we better get that established before we put the fire out. You know? Right, right. And it, it, it's so hard. I don't blame them, really, or me, me too. I do it, too, because it's so overwhelming, the things that are fucked up right now. Mm-hmm. It's so, you know, and we were built, again, back to evolution, but we were like, we were built to be able to focus on our tribe, and our brain cannot really take in sort of the pain and suffering that's going on in an entire planet but our media is showing us this much every day when you read the paper and you're just picking it off, you know, Syria, fuck, you know, just like going on and on like mm-hmm. um, nuclear shit in Japan. And it's like, so what do you, how am I supposed to fix all that? You know, just completely overwhelming. And, um, you know, I have a podcast myself called um, Unethical. I can, won't let me use the word fuck, unethic up with Katie Goodman. And it's, I'm interviewing people who are basically unfuckers, and one of the questions I keep asking everyone, and I don't even mean to ask the same question every time, but it just keeps coming up, which is, how do you keep from burning out? Right. And, you know, when you're trying to deal with sustainability and all the things that Zeitgeist is trying to do uh, planetarily, um, it's, it's really, it's overwhelming, it's depressing, everybody's self-medicating, you know, the anxiety is insane, uh, uh, especially in our cultures where we're aware of everything going on everywhere. And so sometimes all you can do is sit back and just be angry. And actually, when you when you look at these, um, uh, in, I don't know if it's psychology or spirituality or what, but if you look at sort of a hierarchy of emotions, depression is like, the bottom and rage and anger is above depression so even though we want to get past that at some point to um i don't know i mean obviously joy but you know activism um you still have to get to rage to get out of depression so i think that's where so many of us are right now is kind of in this just rage and blame and then you know i don't know we'll move past that, I guess, or maybe you just, you kind of go back and forth like, okay, today I just raised $10,000 for Planned Parenthood, and my rage is mild (laughs) today because of that, and then tomorrow, you know, you'll read about something happening in North Carolina where they won't talk about climate change, and then it goes back down, (laughs) like up and down, up and down. So the climate change thing is one of my favorites because uh, it becomes so (laughs) polarizing, and you know, the people who are seem to be dedicated to talking about, you know, that it, that it's a hoax or whatever, I, I usually have to go, okay, so let's say, let's just say you're right and, and that global warming is, 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 is fake. Let, let's just say that just for a moment. Okay, do you like acid rain? Because acid rain is caused by the exact same thing. You know, yeah. is there some way to lose if we stop throwing trash in the air? You know, is there some way? Right, right. That this you know, my um, my dad is a surgeon, and he used to say he always says to me, you know, ad nauseum, he would say um, about like you know going to the doctor to get something checked that you're worried about, that you're like, oh, I shouldn't go, it's not that big a deal, it'll be nothing. He used to say, which mistake would you rather make? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was always really good, but it absolutely applies to the environment and people who are even a, like 
these so-called progressives who don't who think it's a conspiracy theory that the you know big oil is somehow going to be it doesn't even make sense how they're going to be taking money off of uh, leading global warming. But anyway, which mistake would you make? Would you rather make a mistake that that you know saying that we should reduce <laughs> everything carbon emissions, you know, or would you rather make the mistake of saying we're fine? And then waking up. And also, like, don't these people have children? This is what blows me away, you know? Like, don't don't they, you know, there's just a sense of, like, um, and I, some of it's maybe ostrich hiding your head in the sand, and some of it's just not wanting to believe it because it's right. so awful. Right. Um, but I just don't, I really, really don't understand the naysayers. Well, it's it's true about a lot of things. I mean, honestly, I think, you know, have you ever noticed that the, the priorities that people have? I mean, I, I tell this story on my own show sometimes, but I was, was on a voice chat server once talking to some people who play online video games, and the topic of the Iraq war came up, and I, I gave my opinion, and then, you know, then and I, you know, I signed off, and then I got to overhear, because my roommate was on the same voice chat server, and he was like, yeah, tell your friend that uh, we don't talk about politics in here, you know, and, you know, yeah, we, and then so... The reason this is important is two days later, I'm listening to the same guy who's supposed to be a grown adult screaming at all the other adults in the voice chat because their raid or whatever they were doing on World of Warcraft didn't go right. They didn't get their fictional, you know, uh, digitized gear that doesn't even exist in the real world. But that's something to be mad about. That's something to invest your energy in. That's something to get mad enough to yell at other human beings and adults about, but, but not the Iraq War. You know, well, because they don't actually have to do anything. I mean, I think. I don't know. I don't play these games. But I'm <laughs> so I can't quite empathize, but like I think the idea is that that's safe right. place to do that. You know, you've all agreed on these rules and you don't actually have to get off your ass and try to protest or write a letter or vote. Right. Or raise money for something. Out of you know sight, I mean? out of mind. And it's displaced. I mean, it's the same exact fucking anger, you know. Right. But but it's. It, I guess that's you know. I think that that's part of it is that you know things like you know your songs and you know different work with some of the zeitgeist movement, different artists and such is to try to. You almost have to throw it at them. It, it's like trying to get a child to take a pill, so you you know you soak it in. Uh, some kind of stuff that's bad for them, you know, so that they'll take it, you know. I mean, I don't do that, obviously, but, you know, uh, you know, you, you take something that somebody needs and then you, you coat it with chocolate so that they'll oh, take oh. it, you know, um, things like, and you see this all the time. Like, there are, there are occasionally socially conscious movie makers. Like, I'm pretty sure that, you know, James Cameron was, was trying to send a message with, you know, Avatar. Avatar. Yeah. You know, and in order to do it, he had to throw a good uh, line of sex and violence and action <laughs> in order to get anybody to pay attention to, hey, maybe we shouldn't, you know, uh, blow up the planet and extend right, resources. Right, right, right. You know, I think the same thing is basically true of the work of the Wachowski brothers when they did Matrix, when they did V for Vendetta, you know, um, just to try to kind of subtly affect a message. I mean, even George Lucas, one of the biggest you know, uh, marketeers in the world of, you know, selling his stuff, you know, he kind of wrote those recent Star Wars movies, and they, they the media even flat out accused him at one point of trying to make it out to look like uh, George Bush was the emperor. He's like, oh, no, I was talking about Nixon in, in the Vietnam era, you know, another <laughs> war that we got into that was probably not a good idea, you know. <laughs> But this is back to what we were talking about in the beginning, which is that A, something visual, and B, something emotional is going to have a bigger effect, or or at least it's going to draw a bigger audience, and maybe people's ears will be open, you know, as opposed to just through news and misinformation, too. But, you know. Sure, sure. Now, yeah. let's talk about some of your, you know, your other experiences. I mean, once you made this change, you felt a lot better about it. Uh, you know, can you give me any interesting stories about people that you've met over the course of your work or perhaps fans or maybe not so much fans, you know, who've responded <laughs> to the stuff that you've done that was very memorable for you? Um, I <laughs> it's, it's funny because I use some of this in my show, actually. Um, I've had 
some just outrageously obnoxious comments on YouTube for some of our <laughs> stuff. And it's so this whole um, anonymity of, you know, Internet commentary is, I really think it's unhealthy for the planet. Um, mm -hmm. I think people, you know, should have to have, like, their real name and, you know, or, I mean, not have to, obviously, because I'm sort of like, you know, free press to whatever, free press to whatever the fuck they want to say. But, you know, I've had, um, you know, people, I did a song called I'll Be Jewish for Christmas, which is just a joke <laughs> on being Jewish and uh, being just sort of irritated. I actually do really love Christmas and we celebrate it, but, you know, it's just a funny song about being irritated about by Christmas. And, um, and somebody who, first of all, it's the least offensive of all of my material, but mm -hmm. somebody decided that they were offended by it, and they wrote, get back in the oven. And it oh, was so wow. like, it was really startling to me. Um, I, that your video is so inappropriate that I'm going to say something three million <laughs> times more inappropriate. And also just like, did I really just threaten you with my joke about, you know, eating Chinese food and, you know, kosher Chinese food. I mean, like, what what was threatening about this that made you mm -hmm. say that? It was just so bizarre. Um, and, you know, I do a joke in my show where, especially when I'm in New York and I say that line, the whole audience, I just did this on Saturday night, and they just fucking gasped mm -hmm. and are totally disturbed by it. And then my joke is, no, 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 no. Uh, but I took it as a compliment because it presupposes I have the wherewithal to get out of the oven in the first place. <laughs> and so that kind of lightens it for a second. But it's a way that I can, like, get away with sharing this little tidbit without it being, like, Debbie Downer. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, it's important for me also just to let people know what's out there and, you know, that that the sort of hidden anti-Semitism and racism and homophobia and sexism is just staggering to me how much of there how much is out there. I had um, I had an experience with um, a child that I work with um, who was making racist comments around other children. Um, and when we took him aside and we were like, hey, what's going on? That's not okay here. You know, where, where did that come from? Because otherwise this kid is, like, pretty normal and nice. And I was like, that, this is not okay. And he was saying, you know, well, that's what my, you know, my dad says. And um, uh, and then we talked about it and we talked about where some of the fears of, like, you know, having your job, is having somebody else get your job, and there was there was some real things experiences that had happened that led to this. But it was so interesting to me about um, a, a planet, but I was going to say a country, but a, a um, society growing, just aging, going through, uh, having new people come onto the planet with new ideas. So, mm -hmm. like in a way, if you could just completely cut off children <laughs> from the generation ahead of them, just for like 10 years, I feel like 80% of all of our problems would be solved. You know, <laughs> they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't learn shit, <laughs> like right. bad stuff, you know. Um, the sort of like religious intolerance and the judgmental stuff and the racism and everything. And at the end of this conversation, this kid was like, you know, yeah, I don't really... I, I don't really actually, you know, think all that stuff. And it just, anyway, it just gave me um, a real insight into what we teach our children. And I'm, sure. you know, I, and we do it accidentally too, you know, like um, lock your car doors or in this neighborhood or, um, I don't know, just even valuing certain things about, you know, race like sports and money and whatever versus, like, the intellect of African-American community, things like that, you know, that just you see on every commercial. Sure. Um, and uh, celebrities and stuff. So uh, it was just really interesting. I've completely gone off on a tangent here, but uh, <laughs> it's just really interesting to me what we can unsuck up by just um, letting children kind of learn some stuff for themselves that isn't from their parents. Of course, the downside of that is how much they do learn. Like if, you know, they're living in Texas or wherever and the textbooks are not going to, they're going to teach creationism side by side with evolution. I mean, there's just a lack of rational uh, thought and education is totally freaking me out. I mean, this is not the way it was when I was a kid.
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's actually something we talk about in the Zeitgeist Movement frequently is that, you know, people are a product of their environment. You know, Jacques Fresco says all the time, nobody's born racist or bigoted or, you know, they're not born Christian or Jewish. They're not born, you know, these are all things that we learn, you know, from people in our lives. And I've, you know, having studied that myself, you know, it's also like a, um, have you ever seen the documentary Consuming Kids? No. Oh, my goodness. You really should as a parent. Um, although I recommend it to everyone, um, also just like anybody who wants to know like how the media was plotting to brainwash them when they were a child should probably watch this movie. Um, but Consuming Kids is about the the advertising uh, companies and how they approach children even in utero. Like they, they and it gets really over the top. But like they're not just like trying to figure out. You know, they're not just doing uh, surveys and stuff of children to figure out what they like. They're literally like putting. Uh, devices on kids' heads to watch their brain waves, depending on sounds, uh, you know, their reactions to colors, to you know, just so that they can, by the time they're done, they can make a piece of cow excrement be like something that you want to nag your mom to get for Christmas, you know. And it, it's gone so far that even some of the market libertarians I've talked to have finally admitted that advertising has just reached the level of brainwashing. Um, yeah. you know, and as a result, my kids don't watch commercials if I can ever avoid it. Um, yeah. Most of the time, thankfully. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it would be great if we could have a situation where we could have a generation of children that learned rationally, you know, and where we didn't have all of these societal problems. And we we discussed that quite a bit actually. Is just that we need to take you know responsibility for that. We need to take responsibility for the kind of environment that our children are coming up in, and you know, and and unfuck it up, you know. <laughs> and there's, there's a couple things that are really specific that are happening right now that are so thrilling, like Obama and Biden and everybody t- coming out about gay, um, not coming out, <laughs> um, supporting gay marriage, um, and just the things that have happened in the last couple months because of that have been shocking, and uh, in a great way. Like um, I can't remember, it was like uh, this guy that was in the paper. I'm just so terrible with names, but this guy who was in the paper just a couple of days ago saying that he had been in sort of like a conversion church. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd been, he'd been somebody who'd been sort of counseling people to convert and he was just like, okay, forget it. This doesn't work. And to somebody, you know, there's been so many people stepping up the, the NAACP, I think even, mm-hmm. uh, said something. And, um, and it's just amazing to watch. So that's a little bit of the top down trickle down, but it happened because of us, not because Obama like saw the light one day without people <laughs> saying things to him. And I actually would bet that his girls have had an influence too, because they're in a school, obviously more liberal, you know, than like in somewhere in Georgia. And so they're, you know, they have friends with gay parents, and, you know, so you're just surrounded by it. My son, we have a gay marriage in my family. Um, we also have black families married in my family. And um, we, my son, uh, <laughs> on the gay thing, two things. One, we were watching the ice dancing on the Olympics once a couple years ago, and he turns to me, he's like, why is it always a boy and a girl? He was, like, totally irritated. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those That's moments awesome. where you sit back and you slap your hands and you're like, my work here is done, you know. <laughs> and it was just so, so, so thrilling. And, um, you know, I, my only I was so startled. My answer was, well, I guess one just has to be bigger than the other to lift them. <laughs> like, that was all. And then you want to be like, but there is this movie, Blades of Glory, and at some point when you're a little older we'll watch that. But, um, and then um, the other thing happened at school last week. He was sort of tossling with his best friend, another boy, and one other boy went, you guys are so gay. And instead of my son getting up and saying, like, um, well, what, you know, I don't have any problem with, you know, like something intellectual that we would say, like, there's nothing wrong with being gay. He got up and he went, so? <laughs> like, he didn't even mind being called gay. And the kid's, like, pretty damn hetero. I mean, he's, like, you know, all into girls. But, I mean, I don't give a shit what he ends up being. But it wasn't like he was identifying with it at all. He was just like, what's wrong with that if I were, you know? Right. And it was so incredible. I heard this from, um, like, the the teacher had told me that this happened. And, and that was, and that's from, li- I mean, obviously from living with me and my husband and sure. my best friend's gay and my cousins are gay. But it's also from just being in this culture and we're in, we're in New York, we're in a pretty liberal area of Brooklyn and, you know, and it's, and it, he's just surrounded by it. It doesn't even occur to him that anything's 
you know, weird. Right, right. And that's that's beautiful. Well done, I must say. I'm clapping so for you in my mind right now. And that's and I, I it took a village though, I mean really. And yeah. and that's what I'm saying, like some of this stuff is on a train that can't be stopped, you know. Mm-hmm. Um uh what is it somebody just said to me recently, you can't unring a bell. Right. I love that. That's and it. isn't that great? And it's just it's such a beautiful image for all these things that are happening. And see, this when we're talking like this, I'm all hopeful, Neil. Well, <laughs> I'm like, you. see, now, now I feel like we're unfucking things up. And then I, I go and read the paper, and I feel like shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a process. It takes a it lot. It is a process. You know, I mean. The, the civil rights movement didn't just get to say, oh, it'll take generations. You know, it had to start somewhere, you know. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's however, you know, the fact that, you know, your child has that reaction is kind of proof positive. I mean, you know, that, that what we're talking about is real. You know, and speaking of music and comedy kind of blended together to make political points, did you ever watch Proposal 8, the musical? Proposal 8? Oh, like Prop 8? No. Oh, my goodness, yes. Jack Black played the part of Jesus. Ah! In a uh, in a musical to make fun of Proposal Eight, or more specifically, the more, to make fun of the the Christian approach to it, just as in the, the conservative approach to it, um, and it's it. absolutely amazing. And I think you'll really love it. Um, oh, fantastic! You know, and I won't I won't spoiler it for you. I'll let you watch okay. it. But you know, I recommend it to anybody, especially who has an opinion on the the, the gay marriage issue. Uh, recently on my uh, V Radio show, I just did a show where I, I hosted the filmmaker for the, the film For the Bible Tells Me So, which is a very good documentary on the on the topic of just uh, different, you know, Christians who've decided that they love their kids regardless of their, you know, sexual orientation, who have woken up about this sort of thing. You know, so that's another uh, film that I would recommend to people checking this out. Uh, in the future, I'll be doing an interview with the filmmaker for For My Wife, it's another documentary filmmaker, you know, a documentary about an activist who is working towards the gay marriage. I think that the oh, cool. the biggest thing about the gay marriage issue to me, being 100% heterosexual but raised by a mother who is very open-minded about these things, is that it always seems odd to me that you have people who seem to want to frame it that that it is a violation of their rights that these other people are free to do what they want to do. <laughs> that we act like we're protesting for our right to tell them yeah. that they can't do this thing. You know, it's it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And I especially like when you're hanging out with people who claim to be libertarians or whatever. It's it's odd because they they don't seem to get. Okay, you've now crossed the line. Your rights don't also include the ability to tell other people what they're allowed to do unless it hurts you. And I right. think. It, they seem to think it hurts them because they think about it and it bothers them. And I just, I, I, that's just Well, this so is my song. This is my song called Probably Gay. Did I send you that? I haven't seen that one yet. Okay, that would be the one maybe to, <laughs> that people go see. It's called Probably Gay, the Homophobia Song. And the premise is that people who are um, really have hatred, hatred, you know, homophobia, are afraid of being actually gay themselves and that that and they did this study and it's actually part of the song there was a study in 1996 where they i don't know how they did it exactly but they strapped something on these guys weenies and they showed gay porn and straight porn and when they showed um gay porn the non-homophobic guys like 34 percent of them got an erection and when they showed gay porn to homophobic guys, 80% of those guys got aroused. And so the whole answer to that was those homophobic guys are more turned on by gay porn than non-homophobic guys are. And it basically, I mean, I just, you almost can't argue this argument back, which is what's so lovely about it. Sure. But, um, and what's really funny is on my, you can kind of go poke around, but on YouTube under my song, there's all these comments, really, there's some really lovely ones too, but there's a couple that are like, well, I think this is disgusting. When I've seen gay porn, dot, 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 and the next person to comment is, uh, what were you doing watching gay porn? Probably <laughs> And it just happens over and over and over, and these people don't even realize they're just walking into this trap, but it's mm-hmm. so glaringly obvious from the outside. So anyway, that's, that was my, uh, my take on that. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that's awesome. You know, and uh, yeah, that's actually something I, I talked about not long ago because uh, they did a similar study because bisexuals were being told that they, by both sides of the argument, they were being told that either you're straight or you're gay or you're lying. And uh, mm. they finally did a new test to determine that. And what they found was that the previous test that, you know, basically they had done to try to determine using the same technology was, was flawed because obviously, you know, a bisexual man was going to respond to either. Um, and then they, you know, they finally managed to do one that made sense, you know, and they managed to prove that, yes, there are people who can be aroused in, in both directions. And, yeah. you know, because that, that's another thing that, that kind of that I've noticed is that even like, for example, and I, I talked about this with the, you know, the gay activist I had on my show recently was just that, you know, that's another problem where you're running into is that the, the activists, even in that situation, like there are gay activists who could be very militant and very cruel to anybody who doesn't, their mold they're 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 very cruel to the bisexual community and you know but either way you know i I think it's great that you know you did that song do you have any more that you can recommend that activists would like (laughs) my song sure um i have one well if they if they just go to it's the broad comedy channel broad b-r-o-a-d like an old broad broad comedy channel and subscribe in the next couple weeks i'm going to be posting a new one that's a tea party spoof okay um but I don't want to tell you what it's called yet because it'll give it away. Sure, sure, <laughs> so sure. It'll just show up in their inbox if they subscribe. And I put I only put out something every couple months so they won't get inundated with stuff. But um, so that one for your people, <laughs> activists, will definitely definitely like. Um, I have another song called Glenn Beck is that shit crazy. Um, that doesn't that sound like a, that doesn't sound like a parody. That that sounds like a. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I've got a, a a teen abstinence spoof called "I'm Saving My Hymen for Jesus." Uh, that one goes over really big with the conservative Christian crowd. I'm sure they and, like that one. And and then we've got a bunch of raunchy ones on there like milk. <laughs> yes, I listened to some of that last night actually. <laughs> oh my so goodness! Yeah. <laughs> so what's next for you other than the the super secret song about the tea party? <laughs> um, well, I've got my show up in New York right now um, at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater, which is um, it's my solo show. It's like an hour and a quarter of these kinds of songs and stories and stuff. And that's, oh, God, I love that space. It's so beautiful and so much fun. It's just one of New York's best cabarets, and I just got in there, and that was really exciting. And we're doing a Northwest tour in August to Portland, Seattle, and Spokane. And then I'll be, also before that, I'll be at the Zeitgeist Media Festival and hopefully performing somewhere else in L.A. And a year from now, I'm going back to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, And just, I'm doing a lot of Planned Parenthood fundraisers and, you know, just showing up all over the country doing my show. I also have that podcast and my CD is on iTunes. Oh, I have one other thing that's kind of fun. There's um, a website we have called unfuckitup.com, <laughs> <laughs> and you can go there and nominate yourself or someone else who you think um, should get the Unfucker of the Month Award. And um, we, uh, we, we, you know, it's just mostly bragging rights, but a little bit of swag. And it's, uh, it's a way for people to share kind of what they are actually tangibly doing. And it's really interesting. It's a huge range of things and it's not all um lefty stuff but um you know some of it's just completely nonpartisan um healthcare or whatever but it's re- some other just really unique things i didn't even know were like a problem <laughs> you know but here they are fixing it um, right. so that's kind of fun um and yeah and just i try to put a lot of stuff on facebook that people care about a lot of feminist stuff um gay rights and i'm more i'm you know i show up at occupy wall street um, stuff in New York a lot, and that's great. Just trying to follow all that, and just kind of generally trying to unfuck it up. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, I'm I'm looking forward to unfucking with you and other <laughs> activists. And the only no thing way. about that catchphrase is it just yes. sounds like you're implying a little more than you mean. I clearly <laughs> am only meaning that I would like yes. to unfuck up the world. So. Exactly. Right, and th- that way, I mean, your your husband wouldn't get mad at me. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, anyway, 
So um, it's been awesome talking to you today. Thank you. You too. I really look forward to seeing you, you know, at the upcoming festival. And, you know, even if it's just like me watching remotely, I don't always get to go. But um, And uh, I'm looking forward also just to any further work that you're going to be doing uh, in activism. And so uh, – and. I guess now we've kind of come to the point of the show when, I mean, you've already kind of given the URL. Is there anywhere else that people can go to check out your work? Um, I think kind of everything is at the clearinghouse of katiegoodman.com, and you can get the podcast, also my book, which is a sort of personal growth workbook, and it's actually really funny and fun. It's not like a, you know, it's not shrinky. (laughs) Um, And it's mostly just how to get unblocked creatively and be more authentic creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, how to also try to how to how to be funnier, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and 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 my podcast is there and everything everything's right there. And my touring schedule is there also. And just if people, you know, I just would I like to always say if people are having some great fundraiser that's really meaningful, um, and if I can get there and just volunteer my time for things I care about, I'm happy to do that. So they just email me through the website. Oh, that's great. Well, hopefully one of these days you're in the Detroit area, maybe I'll get a chance to catch your show. Yes. Yeah, i got to do a Midwest tour. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, we could certainly use some things to laugh about in Detroit. Yeah. Let me Aww. tell you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll come. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, there, I, I tell people that all the time when I because when I work with Occupy Detroit, there are parts of Detroit that literally look like they've been hit by the apocalypse. And uh, as ironic as that is, they're you know that they're literally being used in like student zombie films. You know, oh like God. college students will go to Detroit, you know. And the funny thing is, is that some of the safest parts of Detroit are so safe because they're deserted. There's nobody yeah. there. Right, so, right. So muggers and all that don't even bother to go. There's not going to be anybody over there. I'll go somewhere where there are people, you know. So absolutely, there is there is a lot to unfuck up in Detroit, and okay. I, I'm looking forward to your assistance in, in unfucking it up. Thank you. Thanks again, Katie Goodman. Oh, thanks so much, Neil. <laughs> and um, we're now down to the last eight minutes. Um, she was able to give her information. If you guys are interested also in hearing more uh, interviews from me, I interview documentary filmmakers, activists, uh, scientists, musicians, uh, the whole shebang on V Radio, which you can check out at v or v radio.org. Uh, there you can click on archives of lots more shows uh, that basically similar content to this one. I'm not sure who's going to be hosting TZM Global next, but there's always great stuff here. So consider clicking follow on the Blog Talk Radio uh, menu there, and there you will be able to uh, basically be able to get email notifications when we do more shows. So thanks again, Katie. I'm going to go ahead and end this segment. And, uh, Thank you. Um, I, once again, everybody, I apologize for the confusion. We rescheduled, but you know, to those of you who got the Wednesday time, if you did click on this link, you're still going to end up listening to it anyway. Only record it. So <laughs> thanks again, everybody.